Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. All right. Uh, if you need a Bible, please put up a hand. We've got volunteers that are going to bring you one. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, this is our gift to you. It's Take it home. Uh, Acts chapter 1. If you're regular, you're not shocked to hear me say that. We're in Acts chapter 1. This is week 6 of a series called The Spirit in Us. This is going to culminate, of course, at Pentecost, and then we're going to see what does it look like when God's people, for the very first time, are permanently indwelt with the Holy Spirit and walking in his power. Um, and today is entitled, Why We Move. Um, I shared a bit last week of my own personal angst, and it's an angst that I hope you share if you love Jesus, that we want individually and corporately a stronger evangelistic ministry. How many of you guys know that Real behavior change happens when we figure out our why. When the why is clear and it is unshakable, stuff happens, good or bad. Human beings don't move until the why is in place. And here in this text, we're going to see Jesus, uh, well, a couple of angels, point toward Jesus in telling the church, Here's why. So Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, you're going to go be witnesses because you're filled with power, because you're filled with the Spirit. Go. And, and unshakable why. So page 905, verse 8. I lied. We're going to go through verse 11. We'll start at verse 8. But you will receive power. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Lord Jesus, please, by your Holy Spirit, teach us the word today. Help us to receive exactly what you intended by inspiring our brother Luke to write this down. Change us and mold us so that our thoughts and passions and actions and words would be more like you, God. God, if we don't know you yet, please show your face to us today. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. God's people said. Amen. So, go ahead, introduce yourself to a couple of folks sitting near you. We're going to break the ice by asking this. In which ways is American culture built around the pursuit of comfort? In which ways is American culture built around the pursuit of comfort? I'll give you 90 seconds. Go ahead and introduce yourself to a couple folks. Okay. What were some cool answers that your group discussed? What, nice cars? Cadillac specifically? Luxury vehicles. What else? 
Fancy clothes, air conditioning and heating, yeah, yeah. It's television, transportation, yeah. Yeah, immediate, what? Painkillers, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to, right? Let's be really honest about what we already know. When we have a headache, we already know sleep, hydration, nutrition, stress. We already know what we ought to do, but let's just, let's just pop the pill. Yeah, what else shows the pursuit of comfort? Coming from the third country. Third world country, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everything yeah. Every single thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I know that I'm, I'm dating myself a smidge, but 20, 25, 30 years ago, uh, late night TV in particular was dominated by these two minute long ads trying to sell you a new gadget. Uh, They always started off, I don't know if you noticed, they always started off in black and white, as if all of a sudden an I Love Lucy episode had had broken out. And and this lady is fiddling with this mop and she's straining and like falls over because mopping is so difficult. (laughs) And there's probably music in a minor key and someone's dying somewhere. And then, Everything goes into color, right? Like Wizard of Oz, all of a sudden. And she has this new mop that the floor practically cleans itself. It's amazing, right? (laughs) Although that specific form of TV advertising may not be the same, is not advertising taking convenience items and telling Americans those convenient items are not convenient enough? That's, that's, That's way too hard, right? What else? First class. First class? I wouldn't know. That's not my, that's not my <laughs> checking account. Huh? Expensive clothing. Huh? Plumbing. Now we're getting down to brass tacks. When I was a boy. <laughs> All these kids get to poop indoors. What else? Oh. A bigger house. Right? Uh, Emily and I will confess, it was a game changer three years ago. We moved into a house with two bathrooms. It's like, hallelujah! Right? First world problems, huh? You have indoor plumbing with water that flows into your toilet that's actually potable. It's better drinking water than what a lot of the world has. And we were, hallelujah, to have a second bathroom. What else? Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Yeah. Just press a button. A shower? Yeah. A bed, right? And go into a mattress store in a perfectly good bed, and they talk to you about how terrible this bed is and try to sell you the more expensive one. Mary. Huh? Oh, a microwave. Because 15 minutes for dinner, you might starve to death. Yeah. Swimming pool, yeah. DoorDash. Oh, we're getting real now. We're getting real now. Because the microwave wasn't fast enough. <laughs> Lord, save us. Lord, save us. Fast food. You'll get to the hospital fast. Okay. All of that conversation is going to be relevant in just a moment, but first, let's break down verse 8 just a smidge, and we'll see where we're going 
with comfort in the rest of the text. So note takers, fill this in. I'm not gonna park on these four things very long. We're gonna go through them pretty quickly. Uh, I wanna tell you, before I say these four things, there are lots of very smart theologians, they know lots of big words and they love Jesus deeply, that interpret these four things in slightly different variations. And so by no means am I trying to tell you this is the authoritative interpretation. At minimum, you wanna say, verse eight, Jesus says, my followers are going to geographically and culturally spread out, and where they go, they'll bring the gospel with them. That is kind of the bare bones. The details are up for discussion, and it's a great thing to think about, I encourage you to study uh, verse eight in your own time in scripture this week. But let's take this for now. Where am I gonna be a witness? Where will the church be witnesses? Where we are right now. Where the, the job where you currently are when Jesus saves you, the marriage that you're in when Jesus saves you, the kids that you have when Jesus saves you, the, the extended family you have when Jesus saves you, the city you live in when Jesus saves you, where you are. Judea, people you won't meet unless you move. This is the surrounding area around Jerusalem. There's not much of a cultural difference yet. There's not a linguistic difference yet, but you did actually have to do something. How many of you know there are people that, between, that they don't know Jesus and you and them speak the same language and you have the same culture, but you're just gonna have to get up and move, right? If, if you went, let's be real honest, if you went on a mission trip to Auckland, New Zealand, would that be significantly less prep than a mission trip to Tokyo? If you speak English, Auckland is way easier. There are gonna be some cultural things that would be wise to learn ahead of time, but it's not cataclysmic. You, you go, because Emily's friend is from Australia, and they watched Fresh Prince of Bel-Air in the early 90s just like you did. You grew up with a lot of the same media, and it's interesting how culture moves around the planet, but some of the work is gonna be a lot easier than if you went to Tokyo. Judea, maybe the same culture, maybe the same language, but it's gonna actually require movement on our part. Samaria, people you don't want to meet unless you learn to love like Jesus. I don't want to know a Samaritan. We burned down their temple. They did this terrible thing to us. They said this. They're half Assyrian. They're half breeds. They don't accept all of the scripture the way that we do. We're so much better than them. I don't want to know a Samaritan in my flesh. Let's just admit that, right? But I'm following Jesus. And he walks straight into Samaria and starts revealing himself to people. And it's in Samaria where he says, I'm seeking worshipers who will worship, the Father is seeking worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. Brothers and sisters, Jesus loves the people we hate. This is the beginning, this is the ground, right? If we're gonna learn to love like Jesus, Samaria is a part of the calling and the ends of the earth. People groups so vast and different from each other, it's gonna take the entire church of Jesus Christ to reach them with the gospel. No one person is gonna pull this off, okay? That was my quick trip through verse eight. Now let's get into the sermon proper. Number one, comfort and missions cannot coexist. Comfort and the mission of God 
cannot coexist. And I know that we don't like this. Who's uh, singing? Okay. Comfort and mission. Look at verse eight again. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere where you are comfortable, where you are less comfortable, where you're really not comfortable and where you're terrified. You like that little Greg Standard version? There is no part of this, what they've been doing for three, three and a half years of following Jesus, none of this was built around comfort. Constantly on the move, financially dependent on donors to, to allow Jesus' teaching ministry to happen. And we, 2,000 years later, we think it's gonna be different somehow. I could be comfortable or I could do exactly what King Jesus tells me to do. Because what part of a war against darkness makes me think I'm gonna be sitting on my lazy boy? Our world says, you deserve, you deserve, you deserve, you deserve, you deserve, you deserve. And if we deserve good things, brothers and sisters, then the biblical concept of grace makes no sense whatsoever. You see, it's a woman who is loved, accepted, and not judged by Jesus who runs into town and says, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. She didn't start off from a, well, maybe started off, but she didn't have a, an entitlement. I, I deserve Messiah to come into relationship with me, to love me, to accept me, to call me. No, no, no. Jesus is saying the exact opposite of marketing culture. And the good news of that is that marketing culture makes such a small offer, really. Um, you know that phrase, the emperor has no clothes? We, we all kinda know there's no way that a better mop is gonna actually satisfy my soul, right? If we stopped for two seconds, took a deep breath and said, how long is this get purchase gonna make me happy? I'm sure there's data out there about how long the endorphins last. You tap the thing on Amazon, you're excited, it's gonna show up on your doorstep three hours later. Did that meet the need of your soul? Because Jesus, having a very uncomfortable opposite call on your life, he offers you meaning and purpose that are eternal. The offer is so much bigger. The cost is higher and the offer is infinitely higher than this small potatoes. Here's this small price you have to pay, two easy payments of 1995. But what do we offer? Uh, a, a short burst of happiness and convenience? Um, I didn't put this in the notes, but this is a different way of saying the same thing for those of you that like to write. Comfort avoids tension at all costs, and mission embraces it. Tension, which our culture also hates, is when there are two forces that are equal or close to equal, that they're both true, they're both real, and instead of accepting that they're both real and, and feeling the tension in between, I ignore the whole situation or I, or I poo-poo one of the two realities. Let's, let's look at how tension is embraced. So 
A company in, right before World War II broke out was building the HMS Queen Elizabeth and her sister ship, the Queen Victoria. Um, I'm going to tell this story. This is a picture of American troops arriving in New York shortly, uh, within two months after VE Day. Um, but let me tell the story in reverse, because these ships were built to be luxury liners, and before they were even finished, World War II had broken out, and so they just knew what they had to do. They were built, you know, converted into troop transport ships immediately. Uh, the amount of troops that was recorded as a record, they carried just shy, that Queen Elizabeth did, shy of 15,000 troops at one time, with 900 crew on board. At one time, this is without sinking, without, I don't know what their code was, how they measured <laughs> with the safety, almost 16,000 human beings, and she could get across the Atlantic in five to seven days on average, weather depending. Um, after the war, when these two ships were converted into the luxury liners they were originally supposed to be, the Elizabeth topped out at 1,897 passengers. Did you hear that? 15,000 or less than 2,000? And 1,280 crew. Okay? 33% more crew were required to keep people comfortable than to get them where they were going. Oh, that doesn't sound like a church staff at all. Right? You get too close to home, right? If the, if the population, you guys aren't this way, so I don't feel like I'm stepping on eggshells. When a church is consumeristic to their core and off mission, they demand, 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 and you end up overstaffing. We have to have a staff person this, we have a staff because the people have not embraced that they are the church and they can go do it and they can serve. You guys are great at that, so I'm thrilled. More staff to make the ship comfortable than to make it functional. 15,000 if we're just trying to get the job done, less than 2,000 if we're trying to be comfortable. And we get to decide what kind of church we're going to be. We get to decide. Brothers and sisters, we make this decision every day. We make it every Sunday. We make it every time we serve or, or contemplate whether to serve. We make it in every elder meeting, every staff conversation. You're talking with your team leaders in, in your ministry. We will perpetually, based on our culture and based on our surroundings, we will always be essentially told, do you really want to go to Samaria? Do you really want to go? I mean, the ends of the earth, come on now. That might cost you something. This will always be brought up, always. Is, it worth, is the kingdom of God worth it? Is it worth the pain and trouble to tell people about their creator, their savior, Jesus? So here's our next step. If you've got the notes, you already have the blanks in front of you. If you don't have the notes, maybe write it in your Bible. We're gonna take a moment to think and pray and write. What are three types of tension that you need to embrace? Here are three different situations where I know I probably should be trying to represent Christ, but I feel uncomfortable. 
and the feeling of discomfort stops me over and over again. Maybe it's the workplace. Maybe it's with your brother. Where are these places where I feel the tension rises a little bit and to absolve the tension, I just stay silent? Let's take a moment to think and pray and write. Since we have the time, if you wrote down something that you're comfortable sharing, totally okay if it's not, I want you to be super honest with God and yourself, so I hope you were really honest with this. If there's an answer that you're comfortable sharing, would you shout it out? I'll go first. I use the language barrier on my street as an excuse. Almost everybody on my street speaks Ukrainian or Russian, and I keep using it as an excuse. When I say hi to folks, their English is far better than I expected. So clearly, I'm just using that as an excuse. What type of tension do you need to embrace? Anybody want to share? I put down hunger. Talk to me about that. That's why I'm stressed out. Yeah. A lot of people don't have enough to eat. Isn't that cause you stress if you didn't have enough to eat? Yep. What kind of tension are you experiencing in fields where you know, areas of life where you know Christ wants you to reveal him to those around you? Unsaved family members. So family. Does it create tension when we feel the need to control the situation? Yes, it does. What about social media? Oh, okay. Talk to me about that. Anybody else want to share before we move on? Type of tension that you need, huh? In the workplace. Workplace. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so there's relational and emotional tension and spiritual tension. Let's be honest, we've got an enemy, right, in the workplace. And then there's a practical tension if and when supervisors create policy of what you are and are not allowed to say and when and where. Yeah, absolutely. Let's see what God has for us in verse 11. Jesus' return is the reason for evangelistic action. Some of you guys have known this forever. This is nothing new for you, but look at verse 11 with me. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Which, let's be, let's, that's a little bit silly. Has anybody ever seen somebody else just start levitating, Chris Angel style, and then just they keep going and going and going? That is totally reasonable to just stay and go, what on earth? Even the followers of Jesus, they've seen Lazarus raised from the dead less than two weeks before this. 
They've seen amazing things, but they haven't seen this one. This is amazing. But these two angels, it's, it's not really about whether this is awe-inspiring. Listen to the rest of what they say. Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. The context of this statement is what Jesus just said. You'll be my witnesses everywhere. And then he leaves, which means what? You obey the last thing he told you, and he told you to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Instead, they're staring. And these angels are saying, get moving, and they say, why? The church age was just inaugurated. It will be closed one day when he returns in the same way you just saw him leave. And you want a fun Bible study? Go ask yourself, what are all the similarities between his ascension and his return? A lot of cool stuff. Mount of Olives, it goes all over Twitter, you know, all, all of the same things both times. This is the reason that a, somebody who loves Jesus tells somebody else who does not yet love Jesus, oh, you should love Jesus. We have been our whole lives told that we are entitled to good things. We, we have so much functional deism in our culture. If there is a heaven, I'm probably going because I'm not an axe murderer. But the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The church age, this entire ministry in between this first and second coming is this unbelievably gracious opportunity to be forgiven of sin by faith. We don't in our flesh, we don't see it as grace. We don't see it as this amazing opportunity. We're more likely to see, oh, Jesus is trying to spoil my fun because he doesn't want me to sleep with my girlfriend. We don't see that we are standing as enemies of God and he has opened this entire epic of time where the church is proclaiming on Jesus' behalf, be reconciled to God. Hey, the 11 of you, get going because the church age won't last forever. He's going to come back. He came the first time to offer mercy. The second time he comes tragically, but necessarily is to offer complete justice. The justice that a just God, he couldn't do it any other way. He could have come, John 3, 17, he could have come the first time to judge, but he didn't. This shows God's patience with us. He wants to offer us, hey, come home, end your rebellion. Roll back everything that was in Genesis 3. I'm offering my son's blood to do so. Come back. And like all things biblical, we learn our lesson from Carl's Jr., The biblical lesson is if you eat there enough, you'll see Jesus soon. Um, <laughs> Carl's Jr. was my first job. I was 16 years old, so excited to be working, and there was one right across the street from my house. And it was, am I going to hurt your heart? It was the year 2000. <laughs> it was the year 2000, and the economy at the time was such that you didn't go look for a job, you walked in and signed up. 
Um, I didn't realize that, just the way my dad raised me. I walked in, uh, nice shirt and a tie and slacks, dark socks, dark shoes. I did not belong in Carl's Jr. I had no, you don't know. You don't know. At age 16, you're just doing whatever your parents tell you to do. And yes, ma'am, yes, sir, what have you. Um, I know this because I filled out the app, interviewed with the lady who was running the store, and she called me the next day. I was expecting a phone call to say whether or not I had gotten the job. She was calling me to tell me when my shift started. Like, they're just two different conversations. Um, so she said something about tomorrow at whatever time, and I go, just this naive 16-year-old kid. So I go, so I got the job? She laughed audibly, loudly, like my dad from across the kitchen could hear. If you're younger than me, phones used to be attached to the wall. In the, anyway, um, she laughed out loud at this naive 16-year-old kid. Like you, and I realized later, like there, there was so much recreational. There were folks that didn't know any Bible verse other than God made every seed-bearing plant for our good. Like that was the only Bible verse, if you're picking up what I'm putting down. So if you showed up not high, hey, we have a job for you. You know, that, that was it. Something really cool I learned about life in my first week of being at Carl's Jr. was the concept of a secret shopper. And you guys have probably heard about this for a long time, but when you're 16, this is brand new. I found out that twice a month, somebody from regional, because you don't know their face, you have no idea, they're, a, they're your boss's boss, you don't know that, they're in street clothes, and they walk in, order a meal, they're doing just being a customer. And what you don't know is the cleanliness, the friendliness, the quality of the order, everything, every metric is being measured in that moment. And what was really clear, what's kind of clear immediately when you're told about what a secret shopper is, is wait a minute, I don't know when these two customers are gonna walk the entire calendar month, just two. But I don't know when they're coming or what they look like, so I have to be on my game the entire month. When that report comes in, the specific crew members that that person interacted with, your name shows up on the report. And so the accountability for the entire month gets dialed to 11, even with just two little visits that are only going to be a few minutes each. And the angels are saying, Jesus is coming back. He has saved you. He called you. He commissioned you. Go. Now? Well, he's coming back soon. <laughs> Go. I saw a bumper sticker 20 years ago. Haven't seen it since, but I think it's awesome. I think it was somebody who was being satirical. I don't know if it was a Christian. They had a bumper sticker that said, Jesus is coming back. Look busy. There's a little truth to that. Make me actually be busy, not the way the world defines busy. No, no Sabbath, no rest, relying on self to conquer the world. But he's coming back, and, and Jesus told some stories like this, didn't he? Ten virgins that needed to keep their lamps 
trimmed and fueled with oil throughout the night, not knowing when the bridegroom would be there. And five were wise and five were foolish. Some were ready for the return of the bridegroom and some were not, tragically. As it relates to this mission of being uh, witnesses to the ends of the earth, here's our next step. I wanna challenge you, if you love Jesus and call foundation your home, I wanna challenge you to make this your regular spiritual practice along with scripture reading, prayer, being in community with a group, serving, things that healthy Christianity are marked by. I wanna encourage you to have the names of five friends written down in your Bible at all times. I'm gonna do it too. And pray really important prayers so that God will do God's thing, so that your heart will be aligned with your Father, so that your mind will be looking for opportunity to share the gospel. These three prayers are what I wanna encourage you toward. Jesus, please save my friend. How many of you guys know you can't save your friend? Hey. If you're exploring Jesus, you can't save yourself. You put your faith in his cross and he saves you. Spirit, show me my next chance to talk with my friend about Jesus. Testimony time. Raise your hand if you had an opportunity to share the gospel and you feel like you realized it too late and you just, man, I missed it. My hand's up. We're asking for the Holy Spirit to give us sensitivity to what he is doing in our friend's life and around us. Spirit, fill me so I have the power and the boldness I need. Anybody missed it, not because they weren't aware, but because they were lacking boldness? My hand's up. My hand is up. I wanna challenge you to pray these three prayers every morning in the word. Lord, save my friend. Spirit, show me my next chance to talk about the goodness of Jesus through his cross. Spirit, give me the power and boldness I need by filling me today. We're gonna do another minute of quiet while we fill out these five blanks. Again, if you've got the notes, you have these blanks right in front of you. If you don't, I'd love it if you'd put them in the front cover of your Bible, perhaps. Let's take a moment and think and pray and write. Whose names belong on the inside of my Bible or on these sermon notes? If you do not know our sister, uh, Jackie Hill Perry, you're about to meet her. She's amazing, incredible Bible teacher. If you're interested, ladies, she's gonna do a ladies' conference at Capital Christian here in September. And tickets are already uh, on sale online. But um, she's an incredible Bible teacher who two weeks ago had some thoughts about boldness in sharing the gospel with friends and she graciously shared those thoughts online. And so we're gonna watch this video together and then I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna be done. We've been thinking a lot about the concept of boldness. We, we all know that one of the hindrances to boldness is fear, particularly the fear of man. You know, we, we are fearful of what they're going to say, what they're going to think. You know, they're going to say we something that we not. Right. But underneath that and next to it is really also a fear of suffering. 
like saying what scripture has to say, exalting Christ as Lord, that comes with a cost. And so it is easier then to opt out of those kinds of conversations uh, so that we can stay safe, so that we can stay secure. So that that is a hindrance to boldness. But another hindrance to boldness that we don't talk about enough is a lack of compassion. Compassion compels you to say a thing because if I love me more than I love you, what am I going to do? I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to make sure I'm good. I'm safe. I'm secure. Even if it means that you go straight to hell. And so compassion compels us to get out of ourselves, to care more about our neighbor than we do ourselves to, to tell the truth. Now you need compassion also because we got people who are truth tellers, who are bold, but they, they are more addicted to the telling of truth than the glory of God in the way they do it. And so it doesn't have the same nurture, same love, same care. So it doesn't even land in a way that I think glorifies God. And so, yeah. Fearing God more than man, but also loving people more than you love yourself, but loving God more than you even love them. I think all of that works together to make us a very bold person in Jesus name. <laughs> Holy Spirit, give us the humility to hear what you have said, the blessing of our city and our coworkers and our family and our friends and for our joy in you. In the saving name of Jesus, we pray and God's people said, amen. amen. Love you. Have a great week.